welcome to uh, Rising Tide Ocean podcast number 12. I'm here with uh, talking with my friend Daniela Fernandez, who's a, a social entrepreneur, founder of the Sustainable Ocean Alliance that uh, she launched at Georgetown University when you were 19. But let's start even earlier. So you're raised uh, by your mom in Chicago. Uh, how'd you get from fresh water to salty? I know there was like a high school solar panel installation somewhere in there. Of course. And I love the fact that you've been, you've been really with me from the very beginning, Dave, from the very beginning of the journey, right? <laughs> so I, I actually, I was born in Ecuador. And so I, I think that my, my passion and my love for nature and the environment and our ocean uh, really came from growing up and being surrounded by this amazing, pristine environment where I could, you know, uh, in one hour drive out to the ocean and, and be near amazing waters and another hour I can go to the Amazon rainforest. So uh, for me, growing up in Ecuador was such a pivotal moment in my life and really experiencing nature at its core. And then I moved to Chicago when I was seven. And wow. there in Chicago, as you can imagine, I remember this day so clearly, looking outside the window of my airplane and seeing flat land and crying, <laughs> missing the mountains that Ecuador had, you know, I've experienced in Ecuador. So uh, it was that moment, to your point, of going from this amazing environment to a city life in, in the city of Chicago. And uh, no, traumatic and cold. That you, you remember your first snows and winters. Oh, absolutely. I cannot wait to get out. That's why I'm always cold now. No matter where I am, I'm freezing. And I think it's because of that Chicago winter that uh, stayed with me. <laughs> yeah. And um, But you became pretty uh, activist in high school. Um, I read that you, you got your school to set solar panels up on the roofs. I did. And I'm so thankful that they're still there to this day. So it's exciting knowing that I left my mark uh, even while I was in, in high school. But I, I remember going back to when I was in elementary school or you're going to middle school. Uh, I was 12 years old and I was on my way home from, uh, from school and I saw the poster of An Inconvenient Truth. And if you remember, it was that image of a penguin walking on sand was a cover of their documentary. And for me, penguins have my favorite animal for my entire life. And so I, I went to a blockbuster back in the day, the video store, rented the movie thinking it would be a, a movie about penguins. And little did I know that the film would introduce me to climate change. I remember just sitting there watching Al Gore point his his finger at the never ending carbon dioxide graph. And, and to me, that was the day that I realized that I would do everything in my power and I would dedicate the rest of my life towards protecting the environment. I, I didn't know what it meant, <laughs> but I, 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 I did give myself that responsibility very early on in life. Throughout my high school career, I was looking for opportunities to engage and for, and for me to translate that, that passion, that, that fearfulness I felt for our future into action. And of course, when you're in high school, you really don't know your, your place in the world. You don't really know what to do. And so I ended up going to Georgetown University in Washington, DC. And that was my first real introduction to, to the role the ocean played in the environment because Georgetown knew I was passionate about saving our planet. And they invited me to attend a meeting at the UN. So that actually took place when I was 19 in my freshman year at Georgetown. 
And at that, at that UN meeting, which took place in, in New York at the headquarters, I was invited to attend um, the meeting on the state of the ocean. And that's where I learned about overfishing. I learned about ocean acidification. I learned about plastic pollution. And back then, this is what, six years ago, uh, the ocean was not a mainstream concern. It was not something that you were being taught in your environmental class. Uh, to me, you know, we received all of our oxygen from trees based on my environmental classes. I didn't even realize the, the role the ocean played and, and truly every second breath we take come, comes from the ocean. So I, I did gather those learnings from that meeting at the UN um, when I was at 19. I recall leaving that meeting at the UN and having two big realizations. The first one was that I was one of the only young people in that room at the UN. Everyone around me, in their own right, were there as scientists, as CEOs, as, as politicians. But I did see a huge opportunity to involve more young people, more people of my generation, to let them know what was going on behind these closed doors. And so that was my first takeaway. And the second big takeaway was the fact that in these conversations, all that I was hearing was about the gravity of the problems in the ocean space, but I was not hearing about any solutions. I wasn't hearing about any hope. So I left that meeting feeling, feeling hopeless, feeling uh, scared for our future, and, and knowing that I had a responsibility to do something with that information I had just gathered. And so on my way back to Georgetown, I remember on, on the train right back, um, drawing, you know, three circles. One circle was my generation. The second circle was uh, political leaders. And the concentric circle in the middle was uh, a platform, which went to be called Sustainable Ocean Alliance. And so my goal there was to bring young people and these high-level leaders together to have this dialogue, to have these conversations that weren't being had. And that was when the idea of SOA was born. So this is what you were doing, um initially college-based, and then you sort of moved in different directions, one of which is, is creating a, uh, an entrepreneurial approach, kind of uh, moving it to Silicon Valley and creating an accelerator. Why don't you talk about that? Absolutely. So throughout my college years, I have built a tremendous community of young people that were passionate about building ocean solutions. And then as I was graduating from Georgetown, I had to decide whether I was going to go down the path of uh, you know, traditional secure financial job, right? Um, which in my case, I was an economics and government major. So that meant either going into a consulting firm or going into Wall Street, which most people told me to take <laughs> because it was the, the most logical thing to do. However, on the other hand, I had this, this organization that was at the time student-led, and it was really a club uh, from the university that I had started, but it didn't really have any legs to it. So I remember uh, a couple of days before graduating, I turned down all my job offers. I, I had a, a talk with my mom, and I just said, listen, I think this is the right thing to do. I just know it in my heart and in my gut that if I continue building this organization, I can service more young people and, and service the ocean and the planet. And so the, the leap there from graduating from Georgetown to moving to San Francisco and, and being in Silicon Valley was a lot of the young people in the organization, a part of the organization, were saying to me, hey, Daniela, I have this amazing idea for a, an ocean tech startup. Can you help me? And so back then, I, I did some research and found that 
there were no organizations out there or no support systems for uh, for-profit startups servicing the ocean. And so I said to myself, well, where can I go to build that, to, to find the capital, to find the innovation, to find the people that understand how you build technology? And so that's why I moved out to San Francisco to create this um, accelerated program for these ocean technology startups. Now, in, in terms of kind of capital investors, you quickly got uh, millions invested first by an anonymous Bitcoin uh, person and, and then by Mark Benioff. I mean, how did that come about? Was that an expected uh, infusion of capital? Oh, it was all very unexpected. <laughs> I think being an entrepreneur every single day, you're, you're wishing and hoping that things go well. And when they do, you're just pleasantly surprised. But I remember that at the end of 2018, um, actually, no, at the end of 2017, after having graduated, I had raised uh, a few thousand dollars to just maintain myself in San Francisco. And I was running out of money because I, I needed to hire a team. I needed to support my entrepreneurs and support my young leaders. And I remember navigating the, the Bitcoin, the cryptocurrency network while I was in San Francisco. And I kept hearing about this, um, this person, this entity called Pine. Um, that's what he called himself. And so I looked up this website that was called the Pineapple, the Pineapple Fund. And this individual, this anonymous uh, cryptocurrency millionaire was giving away, I, I think it was $50 million to charities. Um, and so I found his email through the cryptocurrency uh, network that I had built. And I just sent him a note and said, hey, I hear you're giving away money. I have this idea <laughs> of building a, a nonprofit that will help young people create ocean solutions. I sent him a couple of paragraphs as to what that idea meant. And um, you know, the next day, I remember waking up, just jumped to my email, just having a feeling that something was there, opened up my laptop while I was on the floor, and I see his response saying, Daniela, here's a million dollars for SOA, and I just started crying. Since we're in Silicon Valley, where apparently dreams do come true, how did Mark Benioff of Salesforce then find you? Uh, Mark actually heard a lot about, uh, he was very passionate or he is very passionate about the ocean. Um, he's very committed to the cause. And so SOA was making a lot of noise. We have been featured in TechCrunch and Forbes. We had a lot of, uh, uh, different, um, uh, presence throughout Silicon Valley. So, um, he reached out and he wanted to have a conversation, um, about the work we were doing. So that's how, that's how Mark and I met. And since then he's been a tremendous supporter um, advisor and just a, a, a complete uh, hero in, in the journey and in the story of SOA because he was one of the first people that I met that truly understood the vision that I had for the organization. And so now you have this network that you're helping to provide, you know, uh, financial support for of, of young entrepreneurs oriented towards ocean solution technologies and ocean solution businesses. How many countries and how many projects? And tell us about some of those projects. Sure. So we currently have young people in 165 countries that are working on different ocean projects, which is amazing to hear and to see because every time that I wake up or feel hopeless or fear or feel stressed out. I just remember the fact that there is someone out there working on a project, whether it is planting coral reefs 
or uh, one of our hubs is actually transforming the entire uh, recycling infrastructure from their village, right? Because their government doesn't have the resources to do so. So they're taking it upon themselves to do that. And of course, if they can build that infrastructure, that garbage won't end up in the ocean. So um, it's amazing to see the innovations, the ideas, the insights that young people have on the grassroots level. And then you go from that uh, that scale and the spectrum goes from, you know, a young person building out a, a plastic pollution campaign all the way to an entrepreneur building uh, a seaweed based technology to replace plastic with seaweed alternative straws and film. Right. So. And where's that out of the seaweed bioplastic? That's going incredibly well. Uh, so we've supported 20 ocean technology entrepreneurs to date. And uh, Lollywood is the company that I'm, I'm talking about, and the entrepreneur um, is Chelsea. And so they join our, our accelerator program as our first cohort. And since then, um, they've raised um, they raised over, I believe, over six million dollars in funding. Um, they have some key partners, uh, some key corporate partners, and now they're going into their next phase of the of the company, um, which is building a different product out of seaweed. So I'm sure we'll be all we'll be hearing a lot more about them. But you know, that's just one example. Great. Where are they based out of? They're based out of New York. Uh huh. And so tell us some other examples. What what sort of really surprised you, or what what companies you're really excited about? Sure. Another one is called Safety Net Technologies. And Safety Net, what is fascinating about them is the fact that they were uh, PhD, student, PhD students um, at a university out of London. And they found a white paper by a scientist that realized that fish apparently can see light differently. So fish can see the wavelength of light and either swim toward it or, or swim away from it, depending on the hue. And they found a way to take this study and build a company out of it. So now they're creating electromechanical devices. So imagine a flashlight and attaching these flashlights to fishing nets and they can decrease bycatch by 80%. So they can really help fishermen identify which types of fish they want to catch, turn the color on in a specific hue and have the fish be attracted and those that aren't supposed to be fished be deflected from the fishing net. And so I think that's so like green light for Pollock, red light for sharks and turtles. Yeah, exactly. No, it is. It's, it's, it's that simple, but it's yet so innovative when you think about it. There are a lot of people in Silicon Valley who look to sort of technologies as the answer to all. And I, I noticed that the Sustainable Ocean Alliance is calling for a 10 year moratorium on deep sea mining. Just to be clear, any startup that goes through our program, they, they go through a specific criteria. For example, one of them is that they have to show a positive impact in the ocean space. Otherwise, they won't work with them. And we're not talking about a neutral impact, but a positive one. So they have to show how their technology, their services, their activity will positively contribute to the health of the ocean. The second one is that it can be scaled. And of course, the third one is that it can be profitable. So we are 100% focused on the impact side of the ocean space. Um, and then to your point is not only do we work with these incredible startups, but we also want to make sure that we're preserving uh, the health of the ocean. And when we see threats like seabed mining, we have to speak up because our generation is also very concerned about this possibility of pretty much deploying a nuclear bomb in the bottom of our ocean 
and, and taking away decades of work that has been done to restore parts of our, of our globe. So um, I think that that's going to be one of the most important fights um, in, in, our, in this decade is making sure that seabed mining does not happen and for people to understand that those campaigns that are out there are just excuses because we don't need to mine more of our planet, of our ocean to get these minerals there is ability to recycle them. And people need, as consumers, have to also realize that uh, the companies that are working with or they're purchasing from should be opposed to seabed mining. Um, otherwise, they shouldn't be buying from them. An ocean climate plan, uh, any climate action plan, really is not gonna happen until there's a new administration in Washington. With an election coming up, a lot of people look at different demographics and the realization is, um, that when it comes, you know, they did surveys and in terms of seeing climate as a uh, serious issue, 69% of Latinx say uh, climate is a, a serious issue, 57% of African Americans, only 49% of whites. Even among voters, 57% of Latinx say that climate change is an important issue that will help determine their vote. 53% of African Americans, only 35% of whites. Why do you think Latinx are more engaged on uh, climate as an issue than other people in a, in the U.S.? It might be because a lot of Latin American countries have already witnessed climate change firsthand. And for those people that are living in the U.S., they have families, right, that have experienced El Nino, for example. They have families that have seen how um, rising, uh, you know, ocean temperatures are affecting fish stock. They have seen how fish stock is limited. So I do think that uh, uh, different countries outside of the U.S., and especially those folks with the Latin America ties, have been witnesses to how climate change is here and it's real as opposed to being convinced. Whereas in the U.S., we've been so fortunate to not experience climate change firsthand. And that's why it's so much harder to educate and to convince older generations in the demographics that you mentioned. I agree. And also just the, uh, although unfortunately we are experiencing it more and more, this is going to be a very active hurricane season. And also a lot of the Latinx population in the U.S. are island peoples from Puerto Rico, from Dominican Republic, from Cuba. Puerto Rico's got slammed multiple times in the Latino populations in places like California and South Florida that either see the impacts through hurricanes or in California are part of a culture that uh, is, is just more progressive on these issues. Um, what made you decide to move to uh, San Francisco? Was it Silicon Valley or and or what? It really was. I, I wanted to my my goal in my mind when I was on my way to San Francisco was capture the energy of the energy of the capital, the people of Silicon Valley, and deploy it to the ocean space. I know that a lot of people are deeply invested in the plastic free movement and and plastic is something that I like to call a weight, a gateway drug to the ocean space because it's something that people can tangibly understand, they can see. They, they saw the, the turtle with the straw stuck in its nose and it brought tears to everyone's eyes. And, and I'm really happy that people are more uh, attuned with what's happening as far as plastic pollution goes. But um, I'm hopeful that that interest in plastic pollution also help, helps people understand the other ocean issues that are going on. And in the circular economy space, not only do we need that, that plastic to be removed from our ocean, we also need uh, a way to take that pollution and 
and turn it into other materials, right? We need to focus on chemical recycling, which is actually another one of our companies called Bioselection. What they're doing is they're recycling uh, plastic that won't be recycled traditionally um, through its chemical process. So they're breaking down the molecules of plastic and, and trying to figure out how can they reproduce that the material so that it doesn't harm our environment, right? And then uh, another aspect of this, of, of this value chain is, okay, how can you then turn that recycled plastic into something that can be useful, right? That into shoes, into, into surfboards, you name it. So there's a lot of different aspects of the supply chain and circular economy that are ripe for disruption and have a lot of chance for people to jump in with their ideas, with their innovations and their energy. Um, it's not just around stopping plastic from entering the ocean. And how hopeful are you in terms of the rapid transition we need, both, uh, you know, in terms of getting the pollutants out of the ocean, uh, restoring the habitats, and, and most importantly right now, transitioning off of fossil fuels onto sustainable forms like offshore wind or tidal power? I'm optimistic because I know the technology exists. It's it's wonderful to see that the possibilities are there and we don't have to wait 10 to 20 years to get these technologies to work. Uh, so I feel hopeful and optimistic that if we give these technologies the right investment, the right support to accelerate them, we'll get there at a much faster rate. So that's what makes me excited. I am, however, concerned about how COVID has played a role in plastic pollution. We have so many more... Um, disposable gloves, disposable masks that are ending up in the ocean in the, that in the past were not a problem. So we need to figure out a way to, again, disrupt that industry and find a ways to make masks uh, biodegradable, make masks out of seaweed, right? Make masks out of other uh, materials that won't harm our planet. So the, the faster we start building this mentality within our society that whatever we build has to be in harmony with our ocean, the faster we will all be living in a planet where we won't, be have, we won't be worried about pollutants, we won't be worried about fossil fuels, but rather we'll be focusing on how to support these innovations and these technologies. Do you feel that lessons will be learned out of this ongoing disaster that the globe's sharing in? I think that there is a lot of positivity around the fact that people are comparing this pandemic to what can possibly happen with climate. And I also appreciate the fact that people are understanding that like this pandemic, it's not just about one person putting on the mask, right? It's not about one person turning off their lights before they go to bed. It's about the systemic change that in the past, we haven't had this conversation socially as far as climate change goes, right? Everyone thinks that if one person does one action, it will go a long way, which don't get me wrong, it will. However, the narrative and the movement has never been systematic. So I think that there are a lot of lessons that can be learned from this pandemic and applying it to how can we tackle climate change from how people have changed their behaviors, how people are holding each other accountable to, to do the better, for the, you know, to change their actions for the better good. How is your social life? You were traveling the world uh, promoting SOA. You're, you're, I assume you're more battened down in the Bay Area now. Oh, I've definitely just been at home since March. So that has with the penguins behind you. 
but that's the only thing that keeps me uh, happy seeing my penguins behind me. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's, um, it's, I'm, I'm thankful for this chance to take a step back and, and, and be reflective and, and really take a look at uh, my behaviors. And, and, you know, I think that looking ahead, even post pandemic, if I can give a talk virtually from my house, instead of having to travel all the way to Indonesia or, or London, um, I will probably opt to do that because I don't want to contribute to the carbon footprint, right? And um, I do hope that post-pandemic that people start changing those, uh, those habits and start thinking a little bit about what, what they can do at home because we've already been tested and we can live uh, from our homes and we can work from there. So um, I, I'm also hopeful that people will understand the importance of, of, of creating that balance in life, right? That in the past we didn't have. And now that you're in California and you've got 1,100 miles of beautiful coastline to visit and enjoy. Absolutely. No, that's been a, that's been a true blessing. And um, I, I do want to point out to one, um, one company that came to mind as you were talking about uh, fossil fuels and alternatives. So one of our companies is actually um, looking at wave energy as an alternative source of power. Um, the company is called CalWave. And they're absolutely incredible. Um, they already have a pilot partner um, in, in uh, with Scripps. And um, they're looking for other pilot partners, right? So if, if anyone out there listening to this has a, an island, has a, a hotel or resort, and they want to power their, you know, their area with uh, wave energy, like definitely reach out to me. Tell people either if they have what they think is the perfect entrepreneurial idea or just they want to get more involved, how they get in touch with uh, Sustainable Ocean Alliance. Sure. So you can find Sustainable Ocean Alliance at soalliance.org. Um, you can also find us on Instagram. I'm at DV Fernandez. Um, I, I often try to post just little snippets of knowledge or uh, our best practices or tips on my Instagram. And then we also have SOA's Instagram at soalliance. So definitely find us online um, or through social channels. And that was ocean entrepreneur Daniela Fernandez. Listen to Rising Tide, the ocean podcast, to hear more amazing people who work on, in, and under, as well as play, explore, research, and protect our salty blue marble planet. Rising Tide is a production of Blue Frontier with hosts David Helberg and support from Natasha Benjamin, Ellie Curlow, and myself, Vicki Nichols Goldstein. Rising Tide's editing services and additional technical support are provided by studio Kate May of San Diego, California. The theme song is written and performed by Ethan Kenbark. If you'd like to advertise on Rising Tide, contact us at info at bluefront.org. If you have suggestions for guests or topics, you can also contact us via info at bluefront.org. You can find Rising Tide, the ocean podcast, at www.bluefront.org or download it anytime from Apple, Google, or Spotify. Off in the salty ocean, off where the waves roll free. The sparkling water rises, then crashes to the sea. Out amongst the breakers, you'll have no need to fear. It's true, it's the blue frontier. Tear, tear. Off in the salty ocean, off to the blue frontier. Sparky, come here, buddy. Sparky!
There you are. Good boy, Sparky.